funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Silver Screen Video. My name is Jacob. I'm here with my co-host, Jonathan. What's up, John? Not much, Jacob. Just uh, excited about this episode. It's going to be fun. It's been a long time coming. So, uh, yeah. Hell yeah. Today we're going to do uh, something special for you guys. You know, it's still quarantine out there. Life is tough. Uh, so we figured we'd give you guys a little treat. Uh, today we're going to talk about our own personal five favorite movies top five movies from uh, your favorite uh, video store clerks at the silver screen video uh, these are the movies that i would say we both hold pretty close to our hearts and are the movies that really probably would tell you the listener the most about exactly what kind of people we are and what kind of what we look for in the art that we consume and uh in the the type of uh, cinema that really it's the old blood pumping. So yeah, what do you think, John? So we just jump right into it? Yeah, but first, it's funny you say that because like I, I text you the other night and it was just like, it is amusingly predictable or in some way when you look at our, like what we like in general and then look at our top five. It is like, it is amusingly predictable. Right. So it's just funny. It was funny. I enjoyed it. Uh, I had already seen, I had seen all of your top five except one. And that one was a real treat, so uh, I can't wait to talk about that. But uh, yeah, no, it was it was fun to uh, revisit some of those films. Some of them I haven't seen in years. So uh, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, it's uh, also it's kind of amusing that like you know we really mo- I feel like most of the time we agree. You know, I, like our our sort of brand as a podcast is not like you know, like not like us, like fighting with each other and arguing about movies. You know, I feel like we most of the time see eye to eye, but it's, I think it's funny how our top fives could not be more different. Yeah. Almost in every way, really. Right. Right. I will say for those of you that's listened, no, I'm sorry. For those of you that listened to our nostalgia episode, you might be thinking you guys don't argue Um, but yeah, no. So, so that was, that was a nice little experiment. If you have not listened to that, go back and listen to it. But yeah, for the most part, yeah, we do. We agree and, uh, and have the same shared taste. Right, right, right. All right, dude, let's jump into it, man. Let's, uh, let's start off with your number five, which I think honestly, uh, you could make a case or anybody could make a case for being the greatest movie of all time. Certainly one of the, certainly maybe the greatest movie of the 1980s. Um, go for it, man. Let's talk about your number five. Yeah. So my number five is raging bull. It's a uh, Martin Scorsese directed movie, uh, De Niro Pesci. Like it's, um, it's about Jake LaMotta and Jake LaMotta was a famous boxer and it's an interesting movie like case to be had, because like you said, you can make the argument that it could be one of the greatest movies ever made, if not the greatest. And we kind of both agree that argument is a bit weird to make, but it's interesting that it's my number five, but it just goes to show you like what, when it comes to your personal favorites, it is just that it has nothing to do with another movie list or anybody else who says, Oh, well, you know, this movie is the greatest movie ever made. So it's, um, 
it's interesting. So when I when I look at Raging Bull, it's just one of those movies. It's it's pretty much perfect in every way. It's it's beautifully shot. Just the opening scene alone, De Niro gives. I would say it's his best performance. I know some people talk about Taxi Driver. Uh, I would say Raging Bull is far and away the best performance he gives in his career. Pesci was uh, great in it. I mean, dude, it was just, it's a gorgeous movie. If you have not seen Raging Bull, you owe it yourself to watch it because it's its perfect. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on Raging Bull? Have you, did you get to revisit it and all that? Yeah, you know, it's on its on Netflix. I would definitely recommend everyone to go watch it. its I think you can make an argument that it is Scorsese's masterpiece, although maybe you could make a case for Taxi Driver. It's, um, you know, I think this movie's a masterpiece. I, I, I think it's, I think I watched it when I was a teenager, you know, kind of trying to, 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 to get back to, or not to get back, but to start viewing the classics. And, I, you know, I, now let me say this, let me say this. Uh, there are some movies or works of art that I love because of their virtuosity, right? Because of, you have to respect the skill and the craft. And I love being sort of in the presence of greatness, I guess. But then there are some other movies, and I, I think maybe the ones that hit closer to home are ones that don't reflect that. You know, ones that you're not just in awe of, but really kind of touch something deep inside of you. So I want to ask, like, I do agree, this is one of the greatest movies of all time. I mean, top 10, top 20, top five, top number one, you know, whatever. Martin Scorsese's masterpiece, you know, on and on and on and on and on. But why is it particularly in your top five? There, there, there has to be something here that really strikes a unique chord with you that I'm kind of interested in hearing what you have to say about. Well, you know, as well as I do and people that listen to our uh, other episodes and kind of get an idea of, of how far back we go with, with our movie love and cinephilia and all that. I watched this movie pretty early on going through Scorsese's movies. And obviously this isn't a spoiler. We'll get to it. This is, Two, this is like I have two Scorsese movies in my top five. And honestly, if I built my entire top 10, I would probably end up with three. But um, there's something about Raging Bull. There's something about Jake LaMotta. I've always been a big fan of character driven dramas where it's basically a character study. And this was a special movie because Scorsese basically put a character study of Jake LaMotta took for two and a half hours. Right. So watching it, I, you know, I've been into boxing and MMA for the better part of my life. I'd say more than half. I was into boxing when I watched this. It was, it was just a unique thing at the time I had seen like a Rocky Marciano biopic. I'd seen a couple of others. I loved Mike Tyson. So when I watched this, it was just like, well, fuck, I've heard about this guy. I, I know that he's good. And then you watch this and it's like, he was tormented. He was, he was just, I don't know. There's something about it. It's, it's really, it's hard to describe. Obviously when you watch a movie like this and your formative years or whatever, it's going to attach to you in some way, depending on how it strikes with you. And for me, it was just seeing this tormented character and he was the best. He was just the best around. And there was just something beautiful in that rage. There was something beautiful in his story. Yeah, there's something, you know, there's something almost like a Greek tragedy in a way, you know, in the sense that 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 he is he's so great at what he does, and yet there's something so sad about it, 
you know, I want to read this quote from Roger Ebert, who is still to this day one of my favorite uh, film critics. And he, he actually also wrote a book on Scorsese. Um, it was one of the first uh, people to really ever single Scorsese out as a unique and interesting filmmaker uh, back in the 70s. It says, Raging Bull is not a film about boxing, but about a man with paralyzing jealousy and sexual insecurity for whom being punished in the ring serves as confession, penance, and absolution. Uh, and then skip here to, that's the beginning of the uh, the review, and then at the end, or the essay, and then at the end, uh, Lamada was famous for refusing to be knocked down in the ring. There are scenes where he stands passively, his hands at his side, allowing himself to be hammered. We sense why he didn't go down. He hurt too much, to allow the pain to stop. And I love that quote because it's, uh, you know, it's, it, there, there's something about this character. There's so, he's a very bad man and he is filled with rage and violence and he never really reforms or never really finds redemption and his life you know, the end of the movie, and uh, which is foreshadowed at the beginning, or not foreshadowed, but is, you know, flashed to at the beginning is, is you know, sad. And it, it's there's something so compelling. I think this is one of the best movies about masculinity uh, ever made, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. I mean, it, it, it was a, it, it's really a cautionary tale. Sure. Of, of how toxic masculinity can be. And I hate to use that phrase given, given the, the context and all that, but it's true. Like, right. because he was a tough guy, like he was the big badass, but mm -hmm. he was also incredibly jealous. As you pointed out, he was incredibly violent, not just to himself, but to those around him. Right. And I don't know, it, it, it is very tragic. And, and I, I don't, there's just something about it. Like my, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when he's just crying on Pesci's shoulder. Because he had he had taken you know the job from the mob because he would not get a title shot without it, right? And the the idea of doing that to him was heartbreaking, and it's just interesting because outside of him getting the shit beat out of him, and uh, and these like in this like super dramatic form because it was almost like like you pointed out it was like a it was a very Catholic perspective of like punishing yourself. Mm -hmm. We right. never really see him very vulnerable. There's right. only a few shots of vulnerability throughout the movie. Well, you so, know, I mean, I mean, you know, not to go too far afield here, but I mean, when we're talking about masculinity, you know, it's become some kind of a, a bit of a buzzword in the sense that people have say the word toxic masculinity, but don't maybe really understand what they mean by it. And, you know, there, there is, you know, um, what I feel like someone would call the masculine problem, which is that men are often socialized to hide their emotions and to not talk about them and to, um, yeah, to, to hide their emotions and their feelings. I mean, I, I certainly can relate to this. I mean, we both grew up in very conservative households, you know, and um, not that it's exclusive to, you know, conservative religious households or anything, but and like, there's just one anecdote that I like. One guy was talking about the um, Netflix version of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy and how a lot of times like, you know, these these five gay dudes would, would go into a guy's life and say like, so 
let's talk about your father. And then the guy would instantly just start like weeping, you know, because men aren't used to having that type of emotional outlet. Um, They don't talk to their friends about their feelings. They don't talk to their uh, spouses about their feelings. And of course I'm using generalizations here. Not, not obviously not every specific male has this issue, but I think that's what this movie is about. If a movie can be about anything, you know, is this is a this is a portrait of this kind of masculinity where you don't talk about your feelings, you don't talk about emotions that you're feeling, you solve all of those problems and you solve all that cognitive dissonance and you you put all your jealousy and all your rage and all your anger into in this case, in the case of a boxer, violent spectacle. And the question is, well what are the consequences of that? Um yeah, and, and that's a great way to put it, because not only is it violent spectacle, it's also like he lashes out violently out of the ring as well. It is not just a matter of the ring is a cage for this raging bull. Like you can't contain what he was, what he is. Right. And and I think they shot this movie, obviously, I think six, I think he gave De Niro six months to lose all that weight to get into arguably the best shape he's ever been in. Because they shoot it with the latter half of, of the overweight Lamada, the club owning Lamada, and then you see the really in shape Lamada. And um I don't know, it's a very thought provoking thought provoking like juxtaposition when you look at the difference in how where he ended up. And it's right. it's a very depressing movie. There's really no uplifting part to it. Right. But <clears throat> and I think, you know, I think one I think one thing I, I do want to say, sort of wrapping up talking about Raging Bull is that I, that I admire about it is, you know, there's, and I think this is the case in every Scorsese movie or every, um, especially, you know, Raging Bull and Taxi Driver, but there's the, there's the depth of it, right. That we've talked about in a portrait of masculinity, blah, blah, blah. But there's also just the raw beauty of, and the raw filmmaking power and image making power that this man has. And specifically, I'm thinking about the beginning. I mean, it's it's a low-hanging fruit to point this out, but I mean, the opening is slow motion, 16 millimeter film in black and white of Jake LaMotta, you know, dancing around a ring, uh, warming up, I guess. Is that is that what he's doing? I guess warming yeah, up. Yeah, he had, he had just came out. He's still in his robe and everything. And yeah, still in his robe and everything. Out. And and kind of warming up and throwing punches and stuff, not actually fighting anybody. And there's this beautiful classical music that is playing. And it's one of those things that you really can't even describe why it's so incredible, but it's sublime. It's just like Travis Bickle driving his taxi around, you know, Manhattan with that, with that Bernard Herman score playing. And it's, uh, it's, it's achingly beautiful. One of the most beautiful images or scenes in all of cinema, I think. And, and just real quick, uh, before we move on, cause we need to, I will say it kind of sets the tone early. This is just my interpretation to each their own. It sets the tone early that there doesn't have to be anybody in the ring for Jake to fight. Mm, like right. Jake, I mean, it, it's a very age old thing, your own worst enemy type thing. That is it. Like that. That is the case of Jake Lamada. He what there? He didn't need an opponent because he was his own worst enemy. So. Right. He, yeah, you're right. He's going to fight no matter what. He's going to punch a wall if he has to. 
you know? Yeah. And he did. Right. Like, it, it doesn't matter. Like that, that scene in the prison cell is disturbing. Right. Uh, so yeah, if you've never seen this, obviously I'm recommending it. I think Jacob is too. Go watch it. It's on Netflix. Oh yeah. You, you owe it to yourself. I mean, it's a, it's a masterpiece. It's, it's one of the essential, um, films of all time. Absolutely. Could not recommend it more highly. So your number five is interesting. I had never seen this movie. Right. And yeah, go ahead and introduce it, talk about it. And then, because we haven't really talked about what we thought about, you know, either movie we're revisiting or whatever. Right. Well, you know, I, we talked a little bit about this in the childhood episode or the nostalgia episode. And, you know, my uh, film noir is for maybe there's some listeners out there who don't know. Uh, but this is this is a genre of film that is used to describe essentially classic Hollywood uh, crime dramas that are usually very cynical and there's usually some kind of sexual element to them. They were made in the 40s and 50s, very low key black and white visual style stories about crime, stories about the Great Depression, hard boiled type of shit. And this is and I'm you know, I'm not alone. Most people like film noirs. I would say it might be film noirs might be the most watched type of Hollywood movies, type of old Hollywood movies. I mean, and yeah, course, and that's and that's saying sorry to interrupt, but that's saying people that watch it and don't know it's a noir. That's how commonplace noirs are. Sure, absolutely, yeah. A double indemnity is a classic. You know, the Maltese Falcon, uh, Sweet Smell of Success, even Night of the Hunter. I would consider a noir. You know, and there the was Big a lot Sleep of di- is is another Bogart one that I really like. Big Sleep is a classic. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of these types of movies. And some stretch the definition, you know, a little bit. They're not exactly as, you know, uh, they're not exactly as adherent to the genre as some other movies. But, uh, and I, I learned about film noir by watching like the Animaniacs and by watching cartoons when I was a kid that would make references to film noir. I think there's a Looney Tunes cartoon where Bugs Bunny is like a detective and like, you know, he's like narrating and he's like, the woman walked in, she had, you know, legs up to her waist, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, often, often, usually has a down on his luck detective, you know, and a film fatale, you know, things like that. And I knew I wanted a film noir in my top five. I, it had, I had to have one because uh, it's my favorite type of film genre. But the question was, which one? And I honest to God think that in a lonely place, is the best film noir. I think it is the greatest film noir ever made. I think, uh, you know, you can put it right alongside Double Indemnity. I, I, I think it's I think it's better than those, and it's, it's probably my favorite one. It's a 1950 film noir. It's directed by Nicholas Ray, who Nicholas Ray is probably one of the most underrated Hollywood directors or just directors, period, of all time. He directed the incredible uh, Western with Joan Crawford called Johnny Guitar. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was a god. He made Rebel Without a Cause with James Dean. Uh, really, really, really great director. And he made uh, In a Lonely Place in 1950. It has Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham. And Humphrey Bogart is a screenwriter. Dix Steele. <laughs> 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 Which I, I just love that name. Dix Steele. D-I-X Steele. He is a down-on-his-luck Hollywood screenwriter uh, who hasn't had a hit since, quote, before the war. And he, uh, he has an agent and he has studio executives and basically he meets a woman and, uh, another woman gets murdered and he falls in love and it's, uh, 
you know, it goes on from there. I don't want to spoil it. Um, but this, I think, is my favorite film noir because it's set in Hollywood. It's it's kind of like it's like Sunset Boulevard in the sense that it's like a dark Hollywood noir. But, you know, in Sunset Boulevard, there's a lot of Norma Desmond and Norma Desmond really creeps me out. So I, I couldn't pick that one as my as my film <laughs> noir in my top five. So, yeah, this one, there's just something so incredible about it. And I, I genuinely think it's one of Humphrey Bogart's best performance. I mean, a lot of these old Hollywood stars get the reputation for not being able to act because it's like, well, you know, they're the same character in every movie or they're doing the same persona in every movie. And I, you know, I could not disagree more with that. There's there's a nuance to his performance here where you're not sure if he is a misunderstood down on his luck, nice guy, or if he's a fucking cold hearted killer, you're not sure until the the end of the movie, basically. And Humphrey Bogart toes that line perfectly. And I don't know, man, I've talked enough. This was your first time watching it. What did you think about it? Dude, it was fucking great. Bogart was awesome. Okay. So obviously, uh, if, if our listeners don't know now, they'll know by the end of my list, I love violent anti-heroes kind of right. like on the, on the darker side where it's like, you're not really sure if you can agree with this person's ethics or morals, but fuck it. They're cool. And that's basically Bogart in a lot of his movies. Right. And we talked about Bogart a little bit uh, pod. And it's like, sometimes you just forget how fucking cool he was. Right. So Dude, when he shows up and and well, wait, my favorite scene, one of my favorites is, is when he's talking to the cop the first time they call him in when he shows up at his house and he's like, hey, so and so she left, you know, blah, 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 talking to the cops. And he's like, I forgot exactly what the cop said, but he said call or something. And he was like, I said I'd call, but I didn't say I was a gentleman like <laughs> because of the exchange. And it's like it's just the snappy delivery, like everything. Right. And uh, dude, I enjoyed it. I really did. It actually got me on like a on a kick and i since then i've watched like the big heat night of the hunter i've watched a few others like that just because it just reminded me how much i enjoy those movies yeah but far and away like i I would say this is your i would honestly say of your top five this is my second favorite on your list oh wow okay yeah yeah i mean i i i I don't know what to say man I, i just love this movie so much and i love film noir so much and honestly I feel like, you know, on another day, Double Indemnity could go in this slot or maybe even the Maltese Falcon, although that's a bit early. You know, I, I love film noir so much. And, and right now, this is my favorite one. I, I think it's uh, his performance. And, you know, there's a there, there's a certain sequence which where Bogart turns from being kind of a cynical, you know, gruff, uh, wise talking, like alcoholic screenwriter and turns into kind of a love drunk fool in a way like kind of halfway through the movie he's like playing house husband basically and he he starts writing again and he starts uh you know he 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 brightens up and he gets flowers and he goes shopping and gets bread and and i just love that part because you know the hammer is going to come down yeah when when he goes in when he goes in to check on her when they have the apartments and the maid is vacuuming. Yes. And she's like, I told you don't vacuum if she's still trying to sleep. Like it's little moments like that that really let you know, like this is just coming at you too hard to to not like when something drops, it's going to be bad. You don't know what, but it's going to be bad. Right. It, it's oh God. It's such a good 
love story and a toxic one. You know, some of the best love stories are are kind of toxic and don't, you know, really follow all the rules. People aren't always nice to each other in relationships and stuff. And Well, I mean, not to give too much away, but I think if you're ever in a scenario where you're afraid your significant other is a murderer, you're in the wrong relationship. <laughs> uh, I don't want to give relationship advice here, but I'm just saying. Oh, man. But but see, the interesting thing is, though, she, I mean, she definitely is like worried that he's a murderer. But the cop, you know, is kind of like encouraging her in that direction. You know, like she's kind of being like gaslit by that cop. Like, God, it's such a fucking great movie. Go watch this movie if you haven't seen it. I think. It's yeah. On, and it's on Amazon, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I watched it on. Is it on Amazon? I don't know. Maybe I did. I, I, I watched so many. I got confused on where. Um no, when when she's on the phone, and this is how we can leave it, I don't want to spoil too much, but when she says, that would have been great to know yesterday, but it's not, It's like she's not being funny. Right. Like, it's genuinely heartbreaking. Right. Like, that was that was great. But yeah, I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, you know, there is a scene where he kind of does like an OJ, OJ thing where he goes, if I had did it, if I had murdered yeah. this person, this is how Dude, I Dude, when they're, when they're acting it out with a cop. Yes. And then she's like, she's like, what, you're hurting me or something. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Like, yeah, are dude. you, are you, are you fucking method acting here? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's so dark, man. I, I think, I think people forget how dark some of these Mars got, you know, just because it was the fifties or the forties or whatever, you know, but like, it's, it's really like, I don't know, brutal and kind of like subtly sexual. It's just, oh, man, I don't well, know. Well, dude, that's that's how it was not to get off on another movie, but real quick, in the big heat, I had forgotten that fucking, uh, what's his face, who plays the uh, one of the henchmen, he was Liberty Valance, uh, Lee Marvin. Right. He, he spilled boiling coffee on a woman's face. Right. Yeah. I'm yeah, like, yeah. what the fuck is happening? Like, this is really dark. So, yeah, they get they get fucked up. Yeah, man, it's. Uh, I mean, I don't know, man. If you, we should, we should probably do a noir episode one day. Oh yeah, but, but yeah, folks, if you're, I mean, this to me, this I think is the best one. I think if you'd asked me like five years ago, I probably would have said Double Indemnity. But I, I just, I just love this one so much, and plus it's got Bogart. Yeah, man, that's my number five. So we should probably move on. Yeah, we'll we'll move through the rest of them so we can spend a little bit of time on our first one. Sure, go for it, man. Your number four is coming up. A very, very popular choice. Yeah, my number four is it's very popular. A lot of people have it. It's a very likable movie, Shawshank Redemption. I've never read the story because I did not want to read the novella because I didn't want the image of these characters to be hurt or lessened by the book. Right. So yeah. Frank Darabont directed it. Everyone loves this movie. There's nothing really I can add. All I can tell you is the reason I love it. I saw it at a young age. It was very, to me, it's just a, it's a great tale of friendship. Like that's what it is. Like it is just, it's about finding light in the dark and it's just long lasting friendships, man. And, and having those bonds. And, uh, that's why I love it. One of my favorite scenes ever of any movie as small as it is, is when Andy's on his boat and, and, uh, Morgan Freeman shows up at the beach at the end. And, uh, it's so great because you you have to like what you put yourself in the in the movie you put yourself in the story, and Andy has no idea if he's ever going to show up. He has no idea if he got out or if he found what he told him to go looking for or anything. So when he shows up, like it's just interesting to imagine the joy of yeah, like something from that life, like something I want it to return. So 
yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it's not it's not a unique choice, but this is exactly why we have top five favorites because there are favorites. So, I mean, you know, when it comes to Shawshank, I there's something very classical about Shawshank that you know I feel like people don't make movies like this anymore, and by by this I mean kind of middle brow entertainment, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all. But I think if you put if you put Shawshank Redemption on in a movie theater full of random people, I think most people are going to love it, you know? And that's um, that's not necessarily the case with uh, a lot of these blockbusters or even a lot of the classic or kind of indie films that we've talked about on here. I think this is, this is kind of bold, high-budget, popular entertainment. And I uh, I don't know. I, I, I love this movie. I, I think... I think the kind of like there's kind of like a a little bit of a stink on this movie for lack of a better word because it's on TV so much and it's just kind of become absorbed into the culture and I know that it's been on like the IMDb top 250 charts it's been on the top of that for like I don't know a decade now or something but like I don't know man if you haven't seen this movie in a while I mean I'm, I'm assuming most people have probably seen it I mean it's almost like Titanic in a way uh, to me, uh, maybe a more adult um, entertainment than the popcorn fun of Titanic, but it strikes me as very old fashioned, very moving and kind of an outlier, you know, like those Miramax movies in the, in the nineties, you know, I, uh, I don't know. I, I like Shawshank. I feel like it's, it's reputation as sort of this big popular movie is kind of like diminished it a little bit. It, it is a really good movie. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, this is a prime example of any movie that we've talked about going through the hype cycle or anything. It's just one of those movies where it's like, oh, Shawshank. It's like, yeah, everybody loves that movie. Like, I don't see what's so great about it. Like, it's easy to, like, discount a movie like that. So, it, it, but it has been hurt by by all these movie lists and, and by all IMDb's and all this shit where it pops up constantly, like, as number one or number two or whatever. Right. So. It is on Netflix for anybody that wants to watch it. So hell yeah, everybody should definitely watch it. And even if you haven't seen it in a while, fucking rewatch it, man. It's you're, you'll have a great time. So let's get to your number four because God, what a movie! Yeah, my number four is the 1960 Billy Wilder movie, The Apartment, starring Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. This is a movie about an advert or not advertising executive. Jeez, I had Mad Men on the brain because we talked about it. Uh, let's see, 1960. What else to say about it? It's an Jack Lemon is an insurance executive um, or clerk. I don't think he's technically an executive who basically r- rents out his apartment for men to go have affairs in for for executives to go have affairs in. You know, because they're they're if you're familiar with the TV show Mad Men, you know they're working in that kind of environment. It's 1960 and all the all the suited executives are having affairs with all of the secretaries in the steno pool and they need a place to go. They can't always go to a hotel room. They can't, you know, they need a place to go in the city. And so they go to Jack Lemon's apartment. And at first this is cause for a lot of comic relief. It's really funny. It's a really funny movie. And then it's also <laughs> cause for a lot of kind of melancholy and sadness, which uh, really appeals to me as well. It's a great New York movie, and it uh, it's also a great love story because, of course, Jack Lemmon falls in love with one of the women, one of the women that 
are brought to his apartment. He he falls in love with her, and of course that's Shirley MacLaine. So you recently rewatched it. What's your uh, what's your deal with the apartment? I know you like it quite a bit. Had you seen it? When's the last time you've seen it before this week? Probably about five years ago. Okay, I'll tell you this. This is far and away on your movie on your top five. This is my favorite one on your top five. Okay, so wow. yeah, this movie, dude. First of all, Jack Lemon. Uh, we've kind of talked about him a little bit. I know me and you thought about him off pod. I used to like have discussions about who the greatest actor of all time is. And my brother and I would always talk about how he doesn't get a lot of respect. Normally when you hear about greatest actors, people are tossing around Brando, Pacino, De Niro, Nicholson, Dean. Sometimes I don't feel like Jack Lemmon gets enough credit. That dude is phenomenal. And this movie his physical comedy, his delivery, his eyes, everything. And and he can and what I love about Jack Lemon is he can flip a switch so fast. Mm-hmm. In the office, when he realizes when he when he's talking to Shirley McLean and he realizes that she's the one, like everything flips. Right. And he does it seamlessly. Yeah, dude. This Shirley McLean was great. This my second favorite Jack Lemon performance. He's just he's so good in it. But I'll tell you to go full circle, another Billy Wilder movie that you mentioned, but I didn't want to tell you the last movie until we got to this, Double Indemnity. Right. Yeah, so Billy Wilder, that's, that's his movie. But my favorite is uh, fucking Fred McMurray, man. Yeah. Fred McMurray is the lead in that, and he was so good in the apartment. And uh, I remember a movie I used to watch. This was at the end of his career, uh, closer to the end, is uh, The Happiest Millionaire. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's funny to see him and that, and then you see him as this piece of shit in the apartment. Yeah. That's uh yeah, man. This movie, I'm telling this movie's special. Like it really is. Uh I think it tackles a lot of interesting subject matter. We won't spoil anything, but you're right. It does flip at some point in the movie. It goes from being like a hey man, this is like a solid Billy Wilder comedy to being like, oh fuck. Things right. have taken a turn. Right. It's and, um, uh, yeah. I mean, Billy Wilder. I mean, shout out to Billy Wilder, man. I mean, we're talking about the guy who made Double Indemnity, Sunset Boulevard, Some Like It Hot, and The Apartment. I mean, I I defy anybody to find a top four better than that. That's I don't. I, I'm obviously I'm sure your answer is The Apartment since it's in your top five. But how do you feel? Some Like It Hot. Do you think it holds up to The Apartment? I'm going to be honest. I thought about Some Like It Hot for my top five. I do really, really love Some Like It Hot. But to be honest, it mostly holds up as a Marilyn Monroe showcase for me now. I I do think it's funny and I I love it. But a lot of, and we've talked about this before, a lot of what I love about movies is the vibes, you know? And for me, the apartment, it just has it beat in the vibe department, in the the vibe department. You know, it's just, I don't know. I I, I personally prefer the apartment. Why? Do you you like Some Like It Hot better? Oh, no, no. I like the apartment more, but Some Like It Hot is great. I just know those movies always come up because they're both so fucking awesome. I'll tell you, we don't have to get into it yet. We will revisit an interesting subject matter that we've discussed off pod when we get to mine up more in my list. So uh, we can come back to something that uh, we've kind of talked about a little bit off podcast. It's interesting. I um I, I do just want to say this this thing about the apartment, which is, you know, there's something there's something strange about movies. And Roger Ebert, I feel like, has wrote about this, and the film critic David Thompson has wrote about it. But there's something so strange about movies in the sense that a lot of times, and especially with old Hollywood classics, you know, not maybe not, you know, some darker movies like we have these days, but 
you know, old Hollywood classics, a lot of times, one of the primary functions was getting to sort of watch your fantasies take place on screen. You know, if someone is falling in love with a beautiful actress, with Marilyn Monroe, you get to watch that fantasy of yours, you know, take place on screen. You get to see Marilyn Monroe up close or, you know, your private hopes and dreams, which were probably created by movies to begin with. You get to see them acted out a lot of times on the screen. And a lot of times those are the movies that impact us the most. And The Apartment is such an unusual movie for me because I remember watching this movie and feeling that it was because there's a scene at the very early on where Jack Lemmon is in Central Park and he's walking through Central Park and he's sleeping on a park bench and the music is playing. And it's so it always seems so romantic to me to be to be sad in New York City. I thought, what what must that be like? You know, what what must that be like? to be able to just walk around New York city in 1960 and, and just be kind of melancholy and sad. And there must be something so deeply romantic about that. And it's so strange that, that like this, I, I I got to do this. You know what I mean? I got to, I got to be depressed in New York. I got to take a, a cab home along the, like the range slicked streets of Midtown, you know? And, and, I don't know, man. There's just something so bizarre about that, about kind of your your fantasies are sort of created by movies, and then you get to see them and partake in them, and then you get to maybe like take play, maybe get to act them out actually in real life. It's it's I don't know. It's it's this bizarre synthesis where art imitating life, imitating art, imitating life, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know. Does, does any of that make sense? <laughs> no, no, it, it all, it all makes sense. A hundred percent. I completely agree with that. Obviously I've never been on the other side to say that about being sad in New York, but I, I do completely agree with you when it comes to some things that we love on camera. And like you said, most of that comes from movies anyway. Like right. from watching them at a young age and forming these things. Uh, so no, it all makes sense to me. I'm sure it does to our listeners as well. Yeah. Like, like filling in that blank of, I wish I could. And you, you fill in that blank with what you see on the on, on a movie screen. You know, I don't know, man, there's just some, some weird life imitating art, imitating life. Cause I, I actually saw the apartment in the Metrograph, which is a theater on the lower East side. And I, um, I don't know. It's it was such an amazing experience, and I, like it was so surreal to be like, oh, I'm I'm living Jack Lemmon's life right now while I'm watching this movie. Where previously I would watch this movie and I would fantasize about living Jack Lemmon's life. Like it, it's, I don't know, man. It, it reminds me of this Drake song. <laughs> now I'm really going far afield. This Drake lyric where he says, uh, "I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to stop you right here." No, hold on, um, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I, I'm not I'm not gonna let you talk about Drake while talking about the apartment. This is a good quote. This is a good quote. There's a song lyric that says, all these 90s fantasies in my mind. The difference is, with mine, they all come true in due time. And I love that quote because there's something like 90s fantasies. Like, yeah, like what were you fantasizing about in the 90s? You know, I was fantasizing about living in Rachel's apartment, in Friends, in, you know, in, in, in Manhattan, in the village or whatever. You were probably fantasizing about being a gangster, you know, about being Joe Pesci and Goodfellas or whatever, you know? And it's just, there's something surreal when you, when you kind of get to live your fantasy out in a little tiny 
in a little tiny way. It's, uh, I don't know. Let's move on. Let's move on to our number three. This is going to be an interesting one. So you already know all too well how I feel about your number three. Um, (laughs) My number three is Braveheart. Once again, just like Shawshank, it's a movie a lot of people love. A lot of people think it's overrated, underrated, whatever. I stand by Braveheart. Like, uh, it's 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 a masterpiece of a film. Mel Gibson directed the shit out of it. Those battle scene, those battle scenes still stand. If you put them on next to like a Game of Thrones, like Battle of the Bastards, like it still holds up. The violence still looks great. Mel Gibson's speech as William Wallace before they fight still gives you goosebumps and makes you want to jump through a fucking wall. Everything about this movie is awesome, and I know you probably disagree with that. But that's the beauty of list. So go ahead. What do you think about Braveheart since you've recently rewatched it? I I watched Braveheart when I was a kid. I was probably I don't know, 13 or something. I don't know. I was young when I saw this movie. And I, I haven't seen it since. And so I was really uh, excited or interested to rewatch it. I'm going to be honest with you, man. The, the battle scenes and all the shit that you're talking about, the uh, the speech and every scene that has Mel Gibson in it, it's incredible. Like it's incredible. Like there's no uh, the battle scenes. I, you know, put them up next to Game of Thrones. I think they would. I think they would. They would absolutely be a hundred percent better than any battle scene that's been filmed in the past ten years. Probably. You know, like especially because there's you know no CGI being used in this one. That's all people. You know. I think the battle scenes are incredible. I think just about every scene with Mel Gibson is incredible. I love how he goes from, you know, sort of heartthrob Mel Gibson at the beginning to kind of like wild eyed, like Mad Max times a thousand, you know, in battle and shit. Dude, I, I, t- I don't really cry in movies, but to this day, I've seen I've seen Braveheart probably 20 times. But if you put that scene on when he sits on the grass defeated when he realizes Robert the Bruce has betrayed him right Mel Gibson conveys so much with just his eyes like there is a reason at one point he was the biggest movie star on the fucking planet he, i mean he he's a great he, he's that unique combination being a really great actor in the sense that he's got range you know but yeah. while, while simultaneously being a Tom Cruise level movie star I, I I think his performance is incredible in this. I think he's an incredible talent, and this is this is the, this is prime Mel Gibson. I mean, nineteen ninety five man, come on, there were you couldn't fuck with Mel Gibson in nineteen ninety five. You know, even his voice it, it was different. Now, you know, a few years later, like he, he he's perfect in this movie. This is like so. When's the hammer gonna drop? Sorry <laughs> to interrupt you, but I know at some point you're about to just drop the hammer. I'm just waiting. I'm not even really gonna drop the hammer because, like, th- th- like uh, uh, these are the reasons why I'm watching. If I'm watching Braveheart, it's for Mel Gibson, it's for the battle scenes, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, but the problem is, whenever we get away from the battle scenes, and whenever Mel Gibson is not on screen. Most of the time, I'm bored. I, like, I, I, I don't care about him as a kid. I didn't care about any of that shit. I didn't care about, like, I don't care about Robert the Bruce. I don't even know who that is. I don't care about him talking to his dad. Whenever Mel Gibson's not on the screen, I, I literally was was bored out of my mind. And then Mel Gibson would show back up, and I'd be like, oh, sweet, here he is. He's about to do some cool well, shit. Well, 
And like, I have a question now. I have a question real quick and I'm being serious. I, I hate it when people put any type of prerequisites on a movie. So I'm not doing that, but I am asking, how do you feel about sword movies in general, medieval movies? And do you have any interest in history? <laughs> do I have any interest? No, I'm serious because if, because if you don't, you like, if you don't like that may not, I understand this movie is historically inaccurate, but the story of Robert, the Bruce and like that whole story, I really like it. Netflix even made a movie about it. It wasn't very good, but it was better than nothing. Do you have, like, do you give a shit about that kind of history or anything or not really? You know, I, I wouldn't say I, I really like care. I wouldn't say I'm a real fan of it, but I, 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 I enjoy history. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, like I've spent um, quite a bit of time in this uh, quarantine reading about like medieval uh, history during like the Christian era because I've been trying to read Dante's Inferno, you know, so I'm, I'm interested in it, but I wouldn't say it's like a, a huge draw for me, but 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 I should say that's not why I'm watching this movie. If that makes sense, you know. What well, I mean? yeah, of course. I was just curious. Yeah, like like it doesn't it doesn't hold enough of a tertiary interest for me that I'm like, oh, cool, that's Robert the Bruce. Like, nah, man, I'm I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I'll give you a perfect example. I watched Troy right uh, recently. Do you remember that movie? Brad Pitt, yeah, Eric Bana, yeah, and all awful. that. I fuck I fucking hate that movie. It's not that great, but when I'm watching it, I really like the Iliad and the Odyssey. And so, like, when I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, cool, there's Odysseus. Like, Sean Bean is Odysseus. That's cool. And, like, I know it's not cool and good, but, like, my interest is peaked because I'm watching, I'm seeing those characters that I've read about in, in, in Greek mythology, you know? And well, that movie, that movie in particular was just a huge missed opportunity. That's why I don't like it because they actually did this awesome Greek epic, but they fucked it up so bad. But I see what you mean. It is still cool to see that shit. Right, right. Exactly. So like, that's like, I can see, I can see how if like I was interested in specifically Scottish history, or maybe even if I had read a book about Scottish history and I knew who Robert the Bruce was, like, I can see how watching the movie, I'd be like, oh, cool. That's Robert the Bruce. Oh, that's interesting. You know, but like, as a result, I didn't really know anything about that in advance. Like it wasn't, so it wasn't like Troy for me when Mel Gibson wasn't on screen and all the cool battle shit wasn't happening. I was just like, I come on, man. Like, let's, let's get back to Braveheart fucking, fucking some people up and let's get back to that guy, like crushing a dude with a hammer. You know what I'm saying? So, so like it, like, I feel like 70% of the movie really appealed to me and I thought was really great. But then like the remaining 30%, I was just like, I, I, I could not care less about this, you know? Hey man, I'll take it. I thought you were going to hate it. So no, I'll take it. That works for me. No, dude, I'm, I'm down with Braveheart. I mean, now I will say, <laughs> my only thing is like, I, I understand why you like it, but I don't understand saying it's like one of the greatest movies of all time. Like one of like as from a filmmaking perspective that I don't quite get, but I do enjoy it. I think it's good. It's not a bad. I mean, it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. It may be even better than good. Yeah, we'll save that conversation for another time. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk about your number three because I have I have very mixed feelings about your number three. Like it's a very weird movie for me. All right, my number three is the 2010 uh, Terrence Malick movie uh, Tree of Life, which has Brad Pitt and has Sean Penn in it. I don't even know where to start with this movie. I really like Terrence Malick's movies. I really like his style. I really like his the way that he uses natural light and the way that everything is kind of improvised. And I think this is his biggest triumph of style and substance. I think there's a lot of substance to this movie. It is essentially the story of 
the childhood of a young boy in mid-century Texas, which is very similar to how Terrence Malick himself uh, grew up. And But it is linked to basically the history of the cosmos. There is a lengthy section at the beginning, or not at the beginning, close to the beginning, where uh, we go back and see the formation of the world and the, the creation of the world. And then at the end, there's sort of this, uh, I don't know if it would be heaven or kind of this, uh, I don't know, maybe afterlife kind of thing at the end. I don't really even know how to describe it. And the, if, if I did have a qualm about the movie, it would be the ending. But it's, you know, this young boy's life is linked to those two things. And Sean Penn plays him. Yeah, Sean Penn plays the boy as an adult. And the general gist of the movie, the general narrative of the movie is that Sean Penn is unhappy in his current life and remembering back on his childhood and thinking back uh, and, and thinking also about the, the origins of the universe and stuff uh, while simultaneously kind of communing with God. Terrence Malick is a Christian and like actually believes Christianity as religion. Sean Penn, in doing these actions, sort of uh, basically redeems himself or comes to a certain level of peace through thinking about these con thinking about these things and the way that they intersect. And uh, the movie is that you get to watch him sort of think through and see the things that he is thinking throughout this movie. So yeah, that's <laughs> takes a lot to even really describe what the movie is. So before I get into why I love it so much, why don't you go into, uh, I don't know, man, what did you think? You, you notoriously hate this movie. Okay, so we were discussing directors via text message probably like three months ago, and we're just because we do we do shit like that. We're talking about films or whatever, and and um, we're we're building our our top ten directors list. And I send you a text, and this is like something out of a fucking movie. <laughs> I sent you a text where I'm like, Terrence Malick's fucking overrated. I hate him. I don't like any of his movies. I just like go on a tear about Terrence Malick. At the same time, you're sending a text message that said Terrence Malick might be one of the best directors in the last 20 years or possibly ever. <laughs> so it happened at the same fucking time. So I do not like Terrence Malick, but I also I'm not going to bash a movie in someone's top five or whatever. I'll say Tree of Life is not for me. I didn't get it. Maybe that's the problem. I don't know. I can't really kind of fall back on that because I've seen most of his movies and I don't like any of them. Like there's not one movie. Like, there might be one actually that I do like. Wait, which one? But uh, uh, let me look it up. I don't think it's uh, the, I don't think it's the other Brad Pitt movie he did. Cause that one's uh thin red line, right? Is Brad Pitt in that? Uh, there's um, a lot of people in that. I don't know. Yeah. Let me look it up. Cause it wasn't thin red line. It was something else. There's just this movie, man. I just, I don't know. Maybe it was a thin red line. I thought it was new world, but then I don't like new world either. Yeah, I get it. I respect his style. Obviously he knows what he's doing. A lot of people loved this movie, hold it very highly. It's not my thing. I don't really care for it, but I, I know that you'd love it. And actually uh, shameless plug, go back and listen to our top 10 movies of the decade. If you haven't, I believe it was our very first episode that we released. And we actually talk about this movie because it was in your top 10 of the decade. Right. So right, right. that is another way for people to hear about it as well. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I, 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 I love this movie. I mean, it, it, you know, I think, you know, it, it, this is probably the most personal uh, movie to me in my top five that maybe affected me the most or uh, 
you know, I don't know. I think a big part of it is this kid's relationship with his father. Brad Pitt is his father and his relationship with his father is, uh, you know, it, it, it hits home quite a bit. And, you know, he, he sort of sees the dichotomy between his father and mother, which I don't quite relate to, but he sees the, this dichotomy between the sort of way of nature that he describes in the way of grace which I find really interesting and really moving and, and really kind of sublime in a way. And I also like, I like Malik's Christianity and I like the way that, that, that his, that his religion sort of manifests itself on screen. I think, I don't know. I think there's some kind of, uh, he's almost like a philosopher, almost like a metaphysical uh, philosopher on, you know, on the, on the screen. I remember someone described the thin red line as war through the eyes of God. And I feel like Malik is, he's filming everything through the eyes of God and almost like a POV shot uh, from God's perspective. And um, I don't know, I, 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 this movie is like a religious experience for me. It, uh, I don't watch it that often because it does impact me on such a deep level. I don't know. It, it, I feel like it's kind of a justification for life. It's a justification for uh, human existence. It's uh I don't know, man. This movie means this movie means a lot to me. It, it almost it almost is kind of silly putting it on like a favorite movies list to me because I I think so highly of it and I watched it at such a formative time in my life and yeah, I don't know, man. It, I feel like the, I feel like Terrence Malick made this movie just for me, which is uh, I think maybe the highest compliment I can give this movie. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Tree of Life. There it is. Go watch it and uh, let us know what you think. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Watch it and uh, let us know. So, uh, yeah, let's let's uh, get these last two out of the way and uh, we'll start to wrap this up. Yeah, my number two is pretty, once again, universally loved. Goodfellas, Martin Scorsese, classic. You can make the argument his second best movie. Someone make the argument his best movie. I uh, I love this movie, everything about it. Everybody in it, great. Most people have seen Goodfellas. Most people like Goodfellas. I can't really think of a a person I know or have read that doesn't like Goodfellas. It's just one of those movies. It's a good time. So it's, it's going back to what we were talking about with the apartment. You know, you love Mad Men. Mad Men is your show. Right. And you love the apartment. And as you pointed out, Mad Men is like the TV of the apartment, TV show of the apartment. My show is Sopranos. There is no better show in television history, in my opinion. Goodfellas is my movie to that. So it's essentially the same thing. Yeah, dude, that's why I love it. Uh, I am obsessed with gangsters. I always have been. And yeah, it's a great fucking movie. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, what can you say about Goodfellas at this point? It probably is. Um, I mean, probably one of the most sh- purely enjoyable movies ever made. It's just so much fucking fun. And there's a lot of sort of the deeper, there's a lot of sort of the deeper, you know, things about religion and, and, you know, things like that, you know, and about gangster life and, and, you know, that sort of thing deeply embedded within this movie because Scorsese is a genius, but at the same time, man, this movie is just a lot of fun. You know, it, it is like the, it is like the Sopranos distilled down into, uh, into a feature length. And it, um, I would say maybe better. I mean, well, I don't know. That's a different conversation, but I mean, yeah, it's a masterpiece. You know, what can you say? If you haven't seen Goodfellas by now, what are you doing with your life? You know, go watch it. Yeah. And don't be afraid. There's a little bit of violence, but, uh, you know, close your eyes or something. It's, uh, it's brilliant. It is a brilliantly directed, brilliantly acted, 
I mean, it, it's it's perfect. It really is. And I don't even feel like I'm being biased. I just feel like that's the truth. It's just one of those movies. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great movie. I mean, I would say, I would put it third, maybe behind Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. I don't know what order, but like, I don't know. It's it's. I mean, it's it's fucking great. You know what I mean? It's 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 a god level movie making from from Scorsese. So now we can look at the exact opposite of Goodfellas and uh, look at your number two, because uh, this is like happiness and 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 glamour and awesomeness and all that. Like, so, yeah, I don't know, man. There's a lot of happiness and glamour in uh, in Goodfellas, you know? Yeah, but it's hard to watch that knowing it's like, yeah, we all know how this is going to go. Yeah, that's true. You rat, you die or you go to prison. Right. Like, (laughs) The the glory and the fun is short lived. Yeah, you know, singing in the rain. I don't know, man. Singing in the rain. I I, it, I, I think singing in the rain is maybe a, a, a like. I think the end of singing in the rain is the closest you can get to pure cinema, <laughs> which is a really bold statement. But I don't give a shit. I I truly believe that. It's uh, this movie is pure joy from beginning to end, but not. I feel like maybe some of these older movies get a reputation for being too cloying or too um, saccharine. And I don't think that is what's going on in singing in the rain. I think it's just a lot of fun. Donald O'Connor, Gene Kelly. It's a musical. It's about Hollywood. It's a really good movie about Hollywood and about movie making in general. It's funny. Gene Kelly, you know, Fred Astaire was definitely the more effortless dancer, but uh, Gene Kelly was always my favorite. He always looked like he was just, I don't know, really manipulating the space around him. And I don't know, man, I, I love this movie so much. It's funny. I love the music. I love musicals in general. And I think this is the best one. I think this is the best, this is the best movie musical in existence. I, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. What did you think about it? Did you rewatch it? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, I, I liked it. It's not, it's not one of my favorites. It is, it is probably my second least favorite on here behind tree of life, but that's because your other three are so good. So I wouldn't even say it's a, it's a necessarily a knock. I'm not the biggest musical lover, but there are a handful that I do love. But I will say it's funny watching this movie and then thinking the way I think when it comes to gangsters. And like when the blonde, I, I can't remember her character's name, but she was the, the lead with the terrible voice. Mm-hmm. When she started trying to like blackmail the studio or whatever, I just started thinking, take her behind the building and shoot her and leave her in a dumpster. Um, obviously not that kind of movie. So they couldn't handle it that way, but no, man, it was, you know, the music was, was good, but the dancing is the most impressive thing. Right. Like some of those, uh, set pieces were fucking great. And, uh, well, I was gonna, yeah, it's an enjoyable movie. It's just, it's, it's joyful is what it is. I was going to ask you about the ending because I, I I'm, I'm, I'm maybe being a tad bit ironic, but I'm mostly being sincere when I think that ending, that Broadway melody sequence at the end, especially when like. Like it's almost like Inception. Like they're like it's like Gene Kelly is describing the dance sequence to a studio executive, and so then of course of course we get to see the dance sequence. But then the the character in the dance sequence falls asleep, and or not falls asleep, but is fantasizing about another character in the dance sequence. So now we're like three layers deep, you know, and like it's a fantasy within a fantasy within a fantasy, which I think is a great. Um, you know, metaphor for this movie, which is, you know, the, the, one of the greatest of all Hollywood fantasies. And it's, 
I don't know, man. It's it's pure. It's pure, pure cinematic spectacle from, especially from the early days of Hollywood. I mean, if you if you had showed this to someone, you know, fifteen years earlier, they'd have been like, "This is it. This is the greatest movie ever made." You know, I don't know. What did you think about that ending? And what do you think about my uh, egregious claim there? Uh, I can't necessarily say I agree with your claim, but it's it's such a weird thing to think about. I don't really know how to like have a rebuttal for it because you're talking about a specific scene in a specific, in a specific situation. But this movie was cinema. Like it was real cinema. If you want to look at it, because it was really, it was about the, the movement from silent to talkies. Right. So that's about as pure as you get because no offense to silent movies, but whenever we started being able to relate and hear these characters that created a whole new realm of okay, well, well, movies just took a step in a whole new direction, right? So the end of it, uh, my favorite thing about the end, honestly, after the big set piece and all that, is is when he says, "Yeah, but I need to see it on film first. Uh, that's <laughs> just a, really what, funny. What a punchline! Yeah, like it was just after that nice long set. But um, no, I I can't say that it's not the 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 greatest uh, scene in cinema. I mean, pure cinema, I should say. I don't know. I didn't really give a lot of thought to the ending. I think you've thought about it way more than I have, obviously, because you love it way more than I have. Um, and, I, and to be honest with you, I don't even really know what I mean. You know what I mean? Like when I, when I, when that phrase pure cinema, it just comes to me when I'm thinking of that scene, I'm like, that's it, man. That's it. Motherfucker. That is, that is the pure uncut shit that I, that I love about movies. All that shit at the end there. I just, uh, I don't know. Well, I- I'll say my favorite thing about singing in the rain is, is the song as we talked about on Kubrick's episode when we did that a few weeks ago, (laughs) when they use singing in the rain for that notorious scene. Um, That's really what I was thinking about whenever he was doing the scene. But yeah, that, that the actual scene of singing in the rain, not to be uh, like predictable or, or whatever. That's my favorite scene in the movie. I love the whole set. It's incredible. That is, that is, yeah, that's the scene I loved when I was a kid watching it. And, and when the cop comes over to him, like his facial expression, everybody did such a great job in their roles and musicals are not easy. Like for people, when, when we watch musicals as film watchers, we need to remember how much went into that because they are fucking hard to do. Yeah, I, I I love that scene too because there's something. It reminds me of another scene in Sunset Boulevard where they're walking kind of behind the scenes of some of the major uh, studios, and I just love that scene, man. The the set because you know that that was a fucking built set that existed. You know what I mean? No CGI, no camera tricks, no nothing. That was a fucking city street that was built on a set, and then they poured a bunch of water on it to make it look like it was raining, like. That, that's cinematic spectacle at its finest. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry not to sound old fashioned, but the fucking CGI bullshit fests that we have today can't compare to that, man. They can't compare to actual sets being built. I'd rather see Gene Kelly dance around that set in the rain and twirl around that fucking light pole a million times. Than I'd rather see Captain America punch Thanos or whatever the fuck. And I know that sounds like old fashioned and like, get off my lawn or whatever. But I mean, I don't know. It, it reflects my sensibilities. And I also think the sensibilities of our pot, you know, I'm going to need you to not bash captain America. Um, (laughs) that's, that's first. Second is, uh, dude, I think, you know, despite the fact that we both 
have a tendency to romanticize old school Hollywood and stuff. I feel like a lot of film lovers do. Sure. I agree with you. There is something about a set. There is something about knowing someone built a set, knowing that they had to manipulate this set to make it look like whatever they needed for the scene. There's something about it. And I think when you look at these old movies, when you look at their sets, you have to appreciate the just the I can't even think of the word, um, the genuineness Mm -hmm. of the actor to pull it off, to be like, yeah, I am in the rain on the side of a street singing and I'm in love. Yeah. I'm not on a movie set. I have transported you. I have done my job. Yes. No, that's God. That's so good. You're right. Yeah. Like all of these things are working. The, and I know we have to move on, but all of these things are working in concert. The, the guy who built the set, the person who designed the set, the group of union members who are lighting it and who are recording the sound. And then of course the, whoever's in charge of, you know, sprinkling the rain on the thing. And, and then of course, Gene Kelly himself and whoever's operating the camera, it's all working in concert for you to experience this beautiful moment. I mean, it's, it's a metaphor for, for cinema as a whole, you know, it's, it's oh, fuck man. I, I fucking love singing in the rain, man. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Rewatching it. It's still like, I don't think it's close to like, I have a couple of musicals that I love that, maybe be like weird ones or whatever. But outside of that, like singing in the rain, it's, it's a genuine good old school Hollywood movie. So I mean, yeah, I enjoyed it. All right, man. So bust into it, man. Our, our, our number ones, our number ones, my number one, it's, it's, it's just, I don't even know what to say about it at this point. It's Scarface Al Pacino, 1983, uh, De Palma directed stone scripted it. It is it is the movie of all movies to me. I watched it when I was younger. I believe that it 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 kind of led to this obsession I have with with the gangster lifestyle and and everything about Tony Montana was over the top spectacle. Awesome. Right. Everything. The world is mine. I want what's coming to me. I don't take orders. I handle shit like he was fucking great. The first meeting he has whenever there, whenever he was told to keep his mouth shut. I think that was F Murray Abraham actually. Um, mm, okay. Told him to, told him to keep his mouth shut, you know, and he just doesn't give a fuck. There is something so appealing to that. It's, it's, it's great. Everything about it. The infamous chainsaw scene. I'll tell you, I love a lot of movies and I don't mind violence. Fuck it. Whatever. This movie is not nearly as violent as people make it out to be. You barely even see the guy getting chainsawed. You see the blood and he's screaming, <laughs> but you barely even see that. You like, like there's like this movie is not nearly as violent. Like when I watched it, I went into this movie as like a 14 year old and, and I watched it and I was like, man, I've heard all the swearings in it. This like holds the record for the most F bombs. It's violent. There's a chainsaw. It's Pacino. I'm going to fucking love this movie. And then I watched it. And, and and I was just like, that's a great fucking movie, but it wasn't as violent as I thought. And I can't even blame it on being desensitized because I was I was 13 or 14, whatever. Right. So, uh, yeah, it just wasn't that violent to me. I don't know. So I uh, I would have preferred to see some more shit, like see the chainsaw, like <laughs> see more stuff. That would have been more fun. So I mean, to be fair, I think we're talking about I think we're talking about 1980, you know, which might as well be the 70s. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah. Like, so I feel like this was before 
you know, this was before a lot of the innovations of like in horror movies of like slasher movies and special effects and stuff, you know what I mean? So I feel like maybe this is as violent as it could have gotten back then, just based on like technology and shit, you know? And, and for those of you that haven't seen the original Scarface, you should watch that too. It's uh, a 1932 classic Howard Hawks. It's, uh, it's great. So hell yeah. Did you revisit Scarface? Did you have the time? I didn't revisit Scarface. I've seen it. I mean, I don't know. I've seen it a lot. I haven't seen it probably nearly as much as you, obviously, but I've seen it quite a few times. And I, I mean, I like the movie. I, I, th- I think De Palma is, you know, even to this day, I think he's underrated. Uh, and I, I think maybe people also don't see what he's up to. We, we texted about this a little bit, but the thing that I love about this movie is Oliver Stone is is taking his subject matter very seriously and thinks that he is writing some kind of he thinks he's writing the godfather and de palma the director thinks he's making i don't want to say a b movie but he he he's doing it with tongue-in-cheek irony you know he's not taking it nearly as seriously as you get the idea that the script means itself to be taken you know what i mean like he's not treating it as some kind of godfather style epic that is a, a tale about the life of crime or whatever. He really, like you said, he treats it like sparkly spectacle that is funny and fun. And Al Pacino is, is <laughs> Al Pacino is essentially doing like a minstrel show throughout the movie. And it's it's fucking hilarious and funny and and cool, but not in not cool in an actually cool way. Like Michael Mann movies. Cool and kind of like a ironic like early 80s way i I mean i don't know i i I have a lot of admiration for this movie i don't know i I get it though i i get i get how this could be someone's favorite movie because it's almost like uh you know it's almost like the gone with the wind (laughs) but for the coked out uh 1980s spectacle if that makes sense no it does make sense and i'll tell you this though buddy tony montagna would have would have taken Rick Blaine apart at the joints, man. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, so for for I those mean, of you that don't know who Rick Blaine is, uh, what's your favorite movie? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you mean taking him apart, like with a machine gun? I mean, yeah, like I, I guess, like no, dude. I meant he would have brutally murdered him and then chopped him up with a chainsaw and left him in pieces and left him in pieces and dumpsters all across Germany. I mean, right. <laughs> it, it makes zero sense. Just let it go. Tell us about your favorite movie. All right. My favorite movie of all time. Not really an original one, but I don't care. I love this movie so much. Uh, 1942. I don't know. I don't even know what year it was made. 1942. Yeah. Yeah. 42. Casablanca. Another Humphrey Bogart movie. I think this is probably, um, I think you can lay a claim to that this is the greatest movie ever made, but not in like an artistic perspective. I think this is the peak of the Hollywood studio system. I don't think they ever made a movie better than this or more impactful. It's uh, it's really funny and really smart. There's a lot of really clever stuff uh, in this movie. Humphrey Bogart is incredible. There's an incredible love story. It's an international thriller. There's some noirish elements to it that are, you know, crime and corruption and, and they're fighting the Nazis. You know, the villains of the movie are literally the Nazis. Claude Rains is fucking hilarious. You know, this movie has everything. I, I really, truly, this movie has, 
you know, some of these, some of these movies we talk about that are, you know, considered the greatest or whatever, you know, Citizen Kane has, has it all, but Casablanca has it all, but it has it all from a very popular, fun, popcorn entertainment perspective. It's got everything. I, (laughs) I don't know if you, I don't think you remember this because I think you were graduated by then, but I made all of my high school class watch this movie at a party one time. And I'm talking about a room full of, you know, 17 year olds in 2004 or 2005. And everybody loved it. Like everybody genuinely loved it. It was, I think it's fun. It's entertaining. And it's, uh, it's got so many different things to it that are what make movies great. It's like singing in the rain, but it's not overly cheery all the time. And so it doesn't, doesn't put itself at risk to be cloying or whatever. It's just, it's, it's just a great fucking movie. I don't know. Did you rewatch it? I did. I did. And I fucking loved it. I mean, I've seen it a few times before. I think any film lover should have seen Casablanca at least twice, maybe three times. Like you can't just watch it once. I I love Peter Lorre so much and uh, him having a role in it was great to see. And, uh, and yeah, man, the first scene with the guy trying to get through the door to have a drink with Rick because he feels like he deserves it. And, and he kind of waves him off and that, that just that cool Bogart way. There's just, there's something about it, man. It was a love story for the ages and it was just such a well-written, well-shot movie for the time. I agree with you. I think that there is a, there is a case to be made that uh, maybe not from a, whatever perspective you want to take from a pure Hollywood overall idea like this, this might be the greatest movie ever made in all reality. So I I would say like, if you're going to start stacking movies, if you want to look at old school, like legit contenders, I would put this above citizen Kane. I would put it above vertigo. I mean, it it, it is, it's pure, pure spectacle. I mean, it does. It has everything like you would think, well, how can a movie be funny and cool and be a good love story and also be about like war and current events and and crime and be exciting and thrilling. This movie literally has it all. You know what I mean? And that's what these movies were. That's what these types of movies were were made for. You know, this is three years after the absolute peak of Hollywood. And you're talking about an environment where these moviegoers, you know, they didn't have what we have access to. And they're when they're going out to the movie theater on a Friday night or Saturday night or whatever with their best girl in fucking Kansas or wherever these people are, they want to be entertained on every imaginable level. You're going with your best girl and she's going to cry during the love, during the love story stuff. And you're going to be like wanting to be Humphrey Bogart and, you know, be obsessed with all, you know, him as cool as he is and stuff. And you're going to both going to be excited and thrilled and what's going to happen intrigue. And you're going to laugh and like, that's what this is, man. This is the best of cinema, in my opinion. This is that's why this is always going to be my favorite movie. Whenever I was making this list, I didn't even have to think twice about what was number one. This this movie has it all, man. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. That's uh, yeah, me me either. Like I've had the same number one. Like I told you, my top three don't move, but I feel like the rest of my seven could kind of rotate. But I've had the same number one for years. Right. Like, yeah. So I yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, it's just a it's just a great fucking movie, man. It's uh, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like much in the same way. I feel like Scarface is almost kind of like a an eighties version of something like Casablanca to the extent that that could even exist. But it's like this big Hollywood spectacle. And even though 
even though there's obviously major differences from like what like what our favorite movies are or whatever, I feel like this the link between both of them is that we like like big like Hollywood spectacle, not in the modern sense, not in the Avengers sense, but in the, you know, in the 20th century sense. I think that's, you know, there's not really any like artsy shit on our like on our favorite movies list. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I mean, I would think I think the chainsaw scene in Casablanca was better than the one in Scarface. But <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I can see you can make a case for it. Um, I think when Rick has the guy in the back of the bar and they're taking his legs off. I mean, it's it's pretty good. So, But see, that's that's what I'm saying. That's not supposed to be horrifying. It's supposed to be fun. You know, like exactly. Like, yeah, like that's, yeah. you know, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be like fun. It's supposed to be like, I don't, I don't even know funny, but it's supposed to be, I don't, I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. I'm trying to draw some kind of distinction, some kind of similarity here, you know? Dude, I'm with you. I've watched several movies where someone was, was, was taken apart with a chainsaw and I have found it amusing every time. So I'm with you. So uh. yeah, there, there we have it, folks. That is, that is our top fives each. And as you can see from how long this episode is, we, uh, that's why we didn't do a top 10 each. Otherwise you would have been here another two hours. Um, so, uh, okay. So, so, uh, real quick before we wrap up, give, if you like, let's grade each other's top five overall full body of work. Okay. What do you grade my top five as? All right. So raging bull is obviously, obviously a five. Goodfellas is a five. I would say Scarface and Shawshank are both fives. Braveheart, probably a four, maybe a three. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know what? Fine. I'm going to, you're going to give tree of life a fucking two. So I'm definitely going to say a three for Braveheart. You know what? That is insulting. I am not giving tree of life a, a two. So, so lonely place is a five, right? Apartment is a five. I think I've already said, I think apartment is the best list, the best movie on this list in terms of how I feel. Singing in the rain is a four. Mm, and that one hurts. And Ca- Casablanca is a five. And uh tree of life is a, uh, uh, a three. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. You're just being <laughs> nice, dude. Uh, yeah, it's a three. So, <laughs> so there we go. There we go. You're just being nice, dude. You know what? You know, you dude, look too. No, here's the deal. You if might, I tell you what you I might thought, I think it's a one, dude. It's a one. Um, oh my God. You but hold on. Bitch. Hold on. Hold on. It's a three. I'm giving it a three. And I think that's fair because when I look at how other people feel about this, how you feel about it, obviously we've exchanged a lot of information over the years about film. We was very rare that we have a massive disagreement. There's something there I'm not seeing. I don't know what that is. So I can't in good conscience give it a one or a two because it's something I'm missing. I am disagreeing with the masses. So you know, there okay. has to be something there. No, I think you brought up something really good. I, no, I think that's a really good point is that is that when we disagree on a really, really significant way, like, like, like I know you thought I was going to hate Braveheart, but I didn't think I was going to hate Braveheart. Like really, like genuinely, like, I'm sorry, but like this, the part, the stuff that I liked about Braveheart is shit that I love in movies, man. I love those fucking battle scenes and Mel Gibson screaming shit, painting himself blue. That, that shit fucking owns to me, you know? So like, I do feel like whenever we, we do like hardcore disagree with something, like one of us is missing something. You know what I mean? 
Like when one of us thinks something is a piece of shit and the other one thinks it's great, it's like, well, hold on, wait a second. Both of us need to pause and think about this for a minute, you know? No, I agree. And and Tree of Life is just one of those movies. I don't get it. I don't get what he's doing. But I'll tell you, like To the Wonder and The Night Cup or whatever, same thing. I don't like those movies, and I know neither of them were as well received as Tree of Life, but there's always something with Terrence Malick I'm not seeing. Right. So there's just he views the world in a very interesting, unique way. And I am not seeing what he's seeing. So to me, if I was to say tree of life is garbage or a one, even if it wasn't in your top five, it would be unfair. Like it just, that's just the way it is. I get that. And I, I do think he lost his way um, after tree of life. I, I do. I'm, I'm really, really not sure what he's up, been up to this decade, but you know, I don't know. Maybe we'll do a tree of, maybe if you, if you can make it through it without killing yourself, we'll do a Malik episode one day. Yeah, I'm just not rewatching Tree of Life. Um, <laughs> oh, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, I this was my third time watching it, so it's not like I've only seen it once and was like, "Fuck it, I don't get it." You've so, seen it three um, times. Yeah, the first time I watched it, well, the first time maybe shouldn't count. I turned it off like 45 minutes into it, and I was like, "I'll finish it later," and I never finished it. That doesn't count. Then I went. Time. You've only seen it. Twice. I don't. Yeah, we'll, we'll say we'll. I watched uh, not really half of it. I watched uh, a third of it, so that counts. Um, and, and then I went back a couple years later, watched it all the way through and was like, yeah, I didn't miss anything. And then I just watched it a couple of days ago in preparation for this. Well, I'll tell you this. I am uh, preparing myself for, uh, the Lord's day tomorrow, Easter, but, oh, shit. oh, fuck. Yeah. It's Easter. That'll, that'll, that'll certainly date the, uh, the episode, but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm preparing myself for the Lord's Day tomorrow. Tomorrow, I think I'm going to... I got the Criterion Blu-ray of the extended edition of Tree of Life, which apparently almost makes it a completely different movie. So I'm interested to... Sweet uh, Jesus. <laughs> there is a longer version of Tree of Life? Yeah, dude. It's like a half hour longer. But but the, the rest of the stuff, it's not just extended. It's, it's all like changing. Like it, the, 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 the chronology changes. You know what? I'm I'm trying to get out of this without sounding like an asshole, and you keep setting me up. What's he gonna have? More fucking dinosaurs stepping on each other? More star explosions? I don't know. It'd be if he did, it'd be cool. Jesus God. Well, it's Easter, so if if you're not if, if you can't go to church and be bored, so stay home and watch three hours of Tree of Life. <laughs> uh, I can take it, dude. I don't give a shit, man. No, it's like I said, it's something I'm missing. It's just, it is what it is. Maybe one day when I'm more mature, I'll revisit it. Who knows if that day will ever come. You need the Lord. Um, you need the Lord's enlightenment, brother. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> maybe what I should do is get super high on heroin and then rewatch it. Maybe that'll, that'll change things. I can't go the Scarface way out. Cause if I, if I did a bunch of Coke before I watched it, it would be like, what's going on? And It'd be climbing up the walls. Yeah, then you'd so. be taking you'd be taking a chainsaw to Katie. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Well, uh, that'll do it. I only have two things to add about a film about films on Netflix that I saw. Do you have any? Do you have any recommendations or anything? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll throw out a recommendation, but go for it. Well, two movies just hit Netflix. Both of them are fucking awesome, worth watching, especially in quarantine. They're on Netflix. They're free. Road to Perdition. Hell yeah. Which dude. is a, a Sam Mendes movie, Tom Hanks, Paul Newman, fucking brilliant. Hell yeah. It is just a phenomenal movie. And Death of Stalin. 
Death of Stalin is an Armando Iannucci film, and it is about the state of Russia after Stalin dies out of nowhere. It's it's pretty cool shit. Anyway, Armando Iannucci, he's a genius. He also did Veep on HBO. If you have not seen In the Loop, watch it. I'm not sure if it's free. But uh, yeah, Death of Stalin, phenomenal. Steve Buscemi, Jason Isaacs. It is a home run of satire. I actually was, I mean, I really like Iannucci, but I was somewhat, I saw this in theaters and I was somewhat disappointed with. Uh, well, it's it's hard to hold it up against In the Loop. Right. All right, I'll throw one recommendation out there. It's on the Criterion channel. I watched it this morning. It's a Russian war. Yeah, it's a little bit related because it's Russian. It's a Russian World War II movie from 1985. And it's called Come and See. I'd been hearing about this movie for a while and I finally got around to watching it. The print looks like shit. Uh, but it looks like Criterion is going to put a Blu-ray um, out in June, so maybe hold off and wait until they finish uh, restoring it if that's uh, if that's something you're interested in. But it's a really it's a really interesting war movie, really horrific, um, not a fun watch. Going to be honest with you, but I do think it was probably one of the more horrifying war movies I've ever seen, and that's including you know some of the American classics like uh, Schindler's List or you know. Um, uh, saving private Ryan or whatever. It's uh, it's pretty horrific. It's about a kid, a Russian kid who joins the Russian resistance uh, to the Nazis in world war two. And boy, does he go for the ride of his life? It's uh, it's brutal. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. It's brutal. It's not a fun watch, but um, if that is something that uh, is interesting to anybody out there, a Russian perspective on the horrors of the Nazis in world war two, um, I would highly recommend it. It was it was really, really quite a good movie. Yeah, if you're not depressed already in quarantine, watch this really brutal movie. It's uh, about <laughs> Nazis. Go for it. <laughs> oh, and uh, trigger warning, you watch a cow get gunned down and die on, on camera. So, uh, so yeah, don't. Uh, if that's something you're not interested in watching, stay away, folks. That sounds like, it's, that sounds like something I run on a loop on my computer. So... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, guys, I think that'll do it. This has been really fun. I'm glad we finally got around to doing our, our favorite film list, and it was a lot of fun to do. So, you have anything to add? No, that's it, man. This is, uh, yeah, reach out to us. Let us know what your favorite movies are. And, uh, I don't know, watch some of ours and uh, tell us if you like them or you hate them. Let us know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let us know. I'd love to know what, even if you don't want to give us a list, tell us your favorite movie of all time. And uh, like Jacob said, watch some of ours. Let us know what you think. Aside from that, be sure to listen to our quarantine episodes. We uh, put one out about nostalgia, as we referenced earlier, just nostalgia-based movies we watched and stuff. And uh, we've got a Guillermo del Toro episode recently. So check those out. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll hit you with another quarantine special because it doesn't sound like we're going to be free anytime soon. So, uh, yeah, guys, that'll do it. Thanks for listening to us. And uh, stay safe out there. And thanks for stopping by the Silver Screen Video. Clouds so dark up above. 
the sun's in my heart and I'm ready for love. Let the stormy clouds chase everyone from the place. Come on with the rain.